My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. It's the Irishman in America podcast with me, Jarlath Regan, and of course, Marion McKeown. Well, if you want to hear the full episode, the full conversation, the only place to hear it is over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad, and there never has been a better month to do so. We've got a 15% discount for anyone signing up or switching over to annual membership. That's 15% better than you'll do at any other time of the year, and you can hear the entire discussion and join in the after show chat. That's one of my favourite things to be honest it's kind of post-mortem that happens between our patrons who uh, we've got some really great people on there who have some really good takes that often inform the discussion that happens the following week so come on over and join up for 15% less during May well Marion when we talked about it the other week I think there was part of us that thought that this Elon Musk takeover of Twitter wouldn't really happen but certainly things have changed and uh, a lot's happened since This crusade, though, that he's on for free speech has kind of revealed what I'd have to say is kind of a juvenile vision of what free speech is. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the context of this. Now, when we spoke about Musk, and I, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but I mean, this has been going on now for a couple of weeks. It seemed like Twitter, the Twitter board just folded so abruptly on this that that took me by surprise. Mm. But as we said when we were talking about him, Musk goes after something and he tends to deliver. He gets these crazy ideas that seem crazy to us. Um, but everything from, I think we spoke about his flamethrowers to space travel to Tesla. Now his super fast loop hasn't panned out. But, you know, he is, there's no denying that he's a very brilliant guy and that, you know, he's not... I mean, personally, what I think, and and I am not being a pop psychologist here, I don't know if you remember, quite a while back, there was a rescue of some children who were Mm -hmm. trapped, and I I think it was in Thailand, and Musk went on um, Twitter, and absolutely, in a disgraceful um, and, and seemingly totally unprovoked attack, accused one of the rescuers of being a paedophile. Now, he, I believe, I can't remember the train of that, but I know that he, he was, understandably, the guy sued him. And I, I don't know where it went or if indeed it did proceed. But at the time, Musk then sought like two-year-old because he said that he was he should be allowed to say whatever he wants well pardon me for disagreeing but you should not be allowed to call anyone without a screed of evidence a paedophile just because you feel like it and just because you're Elon Musk and I think that that was one of the things that made him you know 
informed his idea that he wants to be able to go to own somewhere, to have a playground where the rules are all his rules, where basically he brings the football and the football is his and he can puncture it, he can kick the crap out of it, he can do whatever he wants. And I think this is what he now feels Twitter should be. And it's such a juvenile, as you said, the approach. Now, you know, he's brilliant. He's managed to get the finance from somewhere. And I assume that there are people, backers, A, who may be some of Trump's mega donors who are not happy that he got kicked off Twitter and that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene got kicked off Twitter. There are a lot of people who support Trump and who support this far right with very, very deep pockets. So they may be helping and probably he couldn't afford to himself because um, with Tesla, you're only allowed to sell 25% of your shares. You know, and and I think you're only allowed to borrow against 25% of your shares. So he would be shy, given that he's already done that. He's already extended that for other things. So he, we, it's a fair assumption that he's got the money from somewhere else and from various other people. And what is their interest? Are they gearing things up for 2024? You can be sure it's political. And why do they want what you're saying? He's saying the absolute truth, because the absolute truth, it's such a does not equate being able to, as I say, to spread disinformation, to spread conspiracy conspiracy theories, to absolutely lie about having an election stolen from you that you absolutely lost. You know, so to me, it just seems, the way I see it is this, I think, look, people aren't reading newspapers in the same way that they used to. Our Mm -hmm. magazines, they're not getting their news from NPR, they're not getting their news from PBS, um, and they are to a degree getting it from cable news, which is basically just whether it's the left or the right, they have a very strong bias, both sides. And people have been going to Twitter for news. And, you know, as a journalist, all all of the political aides, all of the police stations around the country, if there is an emergency, if there is a fast unfolding thing, you can be pretty sure that it will be on Twitter. Twitter has become a news vehicle. And I think that Twitter and other social media, because they have become places where people go for their news, should be subject to the same constraints as newspapers and other forms of legitimate you know, print, radio, online media, are, which is that you cannot maliciously defame someone. You cannot knowingly, you know, claim things that are absolutely baseless and put them out as truth and put them out as fact. And that's, you know, like in America, I love the First Amendment laws in America where you have the right to free speech and it makes suing people for libel pretty difficult. There's a pretty high bar and you have to prove that you maliciously intended to cause them damage. You you maliciously intended to defame them. Now, it wouldn't be a hard call to say that a lot of what's on Twitter is targeting people who don't like other people, who don't agree with their views, and they have these wild militias. And Trump was the master of that, of just lying about people, of making completely unbiased Um, unbased um, claims against them. And I don't think that's acceptable. So this is where Elon Musk wants to take Twitter, apparently, where it's a free for all. You can say whatever the hell you want, but it's not an equal playing field because if you're Trump and you have 90 million followers, and if you're, say, you know, any ordinary person who might have a couple of thousand followers, there's no equal playing field there. You don't have the ability to have an equal reply. Mm. You don't have the ability. You don't get equal time. And so I just think that Musk saying that he wants, it will only 
help this, the people who are already, the Trumps and the Elon Musk of this world, who already have millions and millions of followers. And he's gearing that for them so that they can say whatever the hell they like about anyone and about anything, free of any kind of check or constraint. And he will be able to monetize that. Uh, well, unfortunately. Last week we spoke about what the hell was happening to Netflix and its share price. Everything you've just described here and everything I read about this man the volatility and simplicity of his views would make me very concerned if I was a, a Twitter shareholder. There's already a piece that came out just yesterday that said there's concern that this takeover will wipe 126 billion off Tesla's value. Is there yeah. the yeah. chance that we would see Twitter shareholders dumping that those shares, uh, the more he rambles into oblivion. You see, I think that they believe that when they get Donald Trump back on, and you know, Trump is saying, "Oh, I mightn't, I probably won't go back on Twitter." Well, absolute horse <laughs> odour to that one because Donald Trump has, and I just checked, uh, about one point six million followers on his his revolutionary news site that nobody looks at. <laughs> he can't even social. remember the name of. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. He, yeah exactly. Exactly. And uh, so, you know, the, that he would even say that is such patent nonsense. So, you know, I think that there's an assumption that, yeah, Trump will come back on Twitter and everybody will start re-engaging and it'll become again this horrible kind of not so much the town square, but as putting somebody in the stocks and pelting the hell out of them, you know, mm. which is much more Trump's idea of a town square. And, and I just think that he will re-engage. Now you have his lunatic son Donald Trump Jr. claiming that there was some kind of big left-wing conspiracy and that suddenly he's getting a lot more followers on Twitter and he's got about, I don't know, maybe half a million on his father's truth social. Uh, but, but I think that they Twitter will again become, because Trump was, I think, commercially good for Twitter. And I think that Elon Musk is looking at that in a cold, hard, detached way. People engage when they're angry. People, when they're happy, don't bother going on Twitter. They don't bother going on Facebook. They go when they want to vent, when they want to fight, you know, that they can then, you know, turn off their laptop or their phone and run away from when it gets too hot. And, you know, that that kind of cowardly bullying, uh, Twitter is the perfect forum for it, if that's how you want to hmm. use it. If it's not checked, so is Facebook, so are all the rest. So I think they believe that if we turn this into a dirty, filthy WWF type, you know, mixed martial arts, free for all, that people will come just to see the blood. It'll be like the, you know, the gladiators in the arena with the crowds coming. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's his very crude vision for Twitter. And I suspect that people will certainly over the next couple of years while Trump's doing this, will he, won't he run? And while America has become so like, and, and this kind of hipness about this new far right that they're sort of seen now as being weirdly cool in some way. And I, I, I do think that he may be onto something horrible and all as it may be. Your line isn't brilliant this week, Marion. We should say that Marion is on holidays and has managed to squeeze in yes. time to talk to us. I'm really appreciative of you doing that. But as a result, a, a, couple of, a couple of times, just for the listeners to know, it'll sound a little bit scratchier than usual. It's usually usually very crisp audio from you, Marion, with the uh, with that big microphone that you bought recently. But this town square thing has come up again and again. They wants it to be a town square. I mean, it's obvious yeah. to me that Twitter is not a town square. The Guardian 
said it's much closer to Starbucks, McDonald's or a shopping centre where it has obligations and it has interests. It has spaces that it must maintain order and decorum and cleanliness in. And the things that you're describing of turning it into kind of the Royal Rumble, I guess that's the toilets of the of the Starbucks or the McDonald's, depending on the outlet that you've been to. Anything goes in certain corners of McDonald's and the shopping centre. I just think that there's isn't this just the story of a man with more money than sense and a vision that just doesn't match up to the uh, stakeholders and their reality? Yeah, and certainly more, probably even more money than he has ego, which is is really saying something. And like I said earlier, I think his vision is, as I said, not the town square, or if it is, it's a town square with a good old fashioned medieval stocks in it, where, you know, somebody gets put in the stocks and they get pelted with all kinds of filth and abuse and lies and that everybody laughs and applauds and thinks it's all great sport. And I think that's certainly Donald Trump's view of Twitter. That's certainly the the, the rights view of Twitter, that you use it as a forum to to really just abuse and bully. And, mm. and anybody who doesn't agree with you, you know, it's a free for all. And I, I think that that's very much where Musk is going because he does have that ego and say he has the money, he has the clout. Um, and I think that he sees, and that's clearly the Twitter board, Jack Dorsey and, and, and the rest with their statements are, you know, it doesn't make sense. They're saying he's the guy who, who will be the most capable to take Twitter. Twitter's underperformed for years. You know, it has underperformed. That's a fact. But I do respect the fact that I don't think Donald Trump should be banned from Twitter, by the way. You know, I don't. I think that he should be flagged. I think that things, if he says things that are blatantly untrue or if he he um, tries to post things that are incitements to violence, as he clearly did in the past, and, and it's the reason he was banned indeed, then I think that they should be deleted and there should be warnings posted. I think that he can be penalised, but I don't think, you know, you, you do have to have free speech, but you cannot have unchecked lies. Freedom of speech is not the same as allowing unchecked lies and malicious falsehoods to, to just totally populate a, a public space. But Twitter has gone off the rails a long time ago. I mean, it really has yeah. been this platform that became a tool to harass the person or persons you don't like to spread the disinformation that, you know, fuels your ends. And, uh, of course, conspiracy theory promotion. Uh, Like, Marion, like you say, unchecked, keeping them flagged. These are all things that Twitter knowingly perpetuated. There's, I've often said this, that it's absurd that my smartphone and Twitter itself can recognise the brand of sneaker that I want to buy that I didn't even know I wanted yeah. to buy, but it can't exactly. seem to spot the N word or malicious yeah. or gruesome tweets that are sent to me. It can identify that language as abusive or threatening. Mm-hmm. It just seems like this man wants his cake, not knowing what the cake is uh, and yeah. that the the people that are are on Twitter, remain on Twitter, who have stuck steadfast with it, despite all of this negative stuff that's really caused a lot of users, myself included, to go, do I even want to be part of this anymore? That 
there's a certain amount of people jumping already at the very thought of him being there and having this kind of control. How much of are you hearing about that exodus? I'm not hearing a whole lot about it because I think that the the, the same you could say of Facebook and and various other that they they are you know they they have the same flaws they have the same cynicism as you say that you know they they can spot they can anticipate what you're going to eat for breakfast and flag the cereal that they think you're mm. going to like on special offer but they can't as you say recognize a harassing or abusive or racist um you know tweet and so to me our R&D posts on Facebook so to me, I look, they're all about making money. That's why they exist. This is why Musk is um, the richest man in the world. This is why Mark Zuckerberg is up there in the top 10. They do. They use these to make money first. They're not really concerned about, you know, public decency. They're not really concerned about, they could care less, I suspect, about incitement to violence, you know, in, mm. in the broad scheme of things. Uh, they could care less about allowing false information ahead of an election, false misleading information, or allowing their sites to be manipulated by the Russian or other people. And I just think that they want to maximize the amount of profit they can make. And I, I really think that's the name of the game. And, you know, as I said, I but I blame Congress and I blame other regulating bodies because I do think that if they had the will that you could say, OK, this is media. This is what the radio was in the 1950s. This is what TV news was in the 70s and 80s. This is what, you know, um, this is where people, and it should be subject to the same standards. And you can very easily, I believe, certainly introduce legislation that will require the owners of social media to put in place the same kind of checks and the same kind of standards as the owners of, say, the Washington Post or, you know, I will say even CNN or even Fox News, which have absolute bias. But there is a sort of a limit, I think, to to what you can say. And if you do exceed that limit, then you are vulnerable to to litigation and you are vulnerable to defamation lawsuits and, and the the prospect of paying huge damages. So, you know, I, I think that there isn't a will and people say, oh, it's not enforceable because different jurisdictions. Well, every jurisdiction can have their own standards. So, for example, the, you know, somebody who's using Twitter in Ireland would be bound by the, the existing standards in Ireland, etc. And I don't see that it's that complicated, frankly. You know, I mean, so, yeah. You, you mentioned the stocks there. And the, uh, yeah. you know, the pelting with fruit. This is a subject that's come up this week for Donald Trump and his fear <laughs> of tomatoes. Yes. Uh, we, we are going to talk about that and hopefully. They're very dangerous, John. They're very dangerous. <laughs> well, they yeah, kill you. I mean, they definitely can. <laughs> if thrown hard enough, I'm sure. But I'm just interested to hear, you know, how how this emerged that this, like, I believe it was a transcript. We're going to talk about it that. Was. And we're also going to talk about this Piers Morgan interview. I'm not sure if you've seen that yet, Marion. Have you seen the Piers Morgan interview yet? No, because I'm I'm in West Cork with no TV or no nothing. So I'm afraid I've seen clips of it. So mm. I've seen the various bits and the controversy about it. But uh, no, I haven't. I haven't had the pleasure of watching it in full. Well, we're going to talk about that and an awful lot more. But I do want to uh, tell you guys about the big interview this Sunday. Of course, Irishman Abroad has one big interview a week, an hour long deep dive conversation with someone of note and Nicola Talent is the journalist that I'm speaking to this Sunday. Now Nicola Marion you will know is I a know fearless crime Nicola. reporter. She is a fantastic woman and great fun and super smart and outstanding as a reporter. And an incredible podcaster too. Anybody who's yeah. listened yeah. to witness the award winning podcast 
that she wrote that she created about one of the most tragic stories of uh, Irish gangland uh, victims or victim one victim in particular Joey O'Callaghan youngest person ever to enter the witness protection program it's an extraordinary book too well Nicola tells me all about that she talks to me about the Kinnahans and what exactly has changed in Ireland since I moved away a lot of us abroad can sometimes feel a bit like what the hell is going on back there well nobody really explains it better than Nicola Talent Uh, that's this Sunday on the big interview to hear it all you know where to go patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad now let's talk about tomatoes and the orange fella Uh, (laughs) (laughs) tomatoes and oranges they should never mix how the hell does this come out to start with he you explain it to us well, you know, sorry, I was just going to say there one's a fruit and the other's a vegetable and take your pick, you know, <laughs> really, because uh, this, okay, th- that, let's go back to the the, it, the days of early 2016 and when I and a lot of other journalists who who must have done terrible things in previous lives were going to Trump rallies on a near daily basis and the rallies would become fairly rowdy and you'd have some protesters and he'd be ginning up all the crowds and the mob and there was mobs. Uh, and and um, encouraging his supporters to beat the crap, which was his favorite yes. expression. Out Knock of, the crap um, out of him. We should he, play the clip. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. This is the day we take our country back. So I got a little notice in case you see the security guys. We have wonderful security guys. They said, Mr. Trump, there may be somebody with tomatoes in the audience. So if you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? Seriously. Okay? Just knock the hell. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise. I promise. And then telling, you know, saying, like, bemoaning the days that the police no longer kick the crap out of people in the way they used to do, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're too nice now. And then telling his supporters that if they did knock the crap out of any hecklers, he would pay their legal bills. Well, good luck with getting told Trump to pay anyone's legal bills, even his own. His own. In fact, especially yeah. his own. <laughs> Uh, so uh, it, anyway, a bunch of um, protesters who were roughed up by Keith Schiller, um, who was Trump's chief of security, his clo- his body man, basically, who went on to get a senior position in the White House in security. And, uh, you know, these these people were they were basically really roughing up protesters. They were even roughing up journalists. Uh, Corey Lewandowski, I remember being at an event where he roughed up a journalist from Breitbart, a newspaper outlet that was really supportive of Trump. And it was a woman from Breitbart. He left her with bruising all down her shoulder and arms and there was nothing done, nothing said. They were they were really behaved like ruffians. So anyway, Trump had heard from his excellent, the best in the world security people that there might be people turning up with tomatoes. There might be protesters with, God forbid, tomatoes turning up. And it was at one of his events in Cedar Rapids in Iowa. Now, Iowa is where primary season really kicks off, you know, before presidential election. And uh, and so he was appalled by this. So he said that he wanted to have people to be ready because he was put on alert. They were going to 
do fruit. These are Trump's words, not mine, by the way. Mm -hmm. And then he said in, in this deposition, tomatoes are bad, some fruits a lot worse, but it's very dangerous. And he said that he rem at that event, everyone was on alert because they were going to hit and they were going to hit hard with tomatoes. So he told the, the members of the audience to knock the crap out of protesters. And he said that um, in this deposition where he's being sued because the protesters did get the crap knocked out of them, he said that, you know, he got a notice from his security guys um, and he said to them, if you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, he told the security guys, knock the crap out of them seriously, would you? OK. And then he said the same thing to the audience, pledging that he would pay the legal fees, as I said, for anyone and saying the legal fees won't be so much because the courts will agree with us, too. So then he was asked um, about the tomatoes and he said, I'm quoting him here, that it, if did it justify, basically he was asked, you know, do you really think that it, it preemptively beating the crap out of somebody because they might throw a tomato For, for tomato possession. Justified. Yeah. Yeah, for possession of the tomato <laughs> with intent to pelt. Uh, but and, and he, so anyway, he said, yeah, I think they have to be aggressive in stopping that from happening, because if that happens, you can be killed. Who knew? I, I, I have done research, Gerard. I have not found anyone who has been killed by a tomato <laughs> being thrown at them. I couldn't find a single person. And then he says to stop people from throwing pineapples, tomatoes, bananas, stuff like that. Yeah, it's dangerous stuff. It's dangerous stuff. Wow. And then um, he he was he goes on to talk again about um, other things being worse than tomatoes and that it's very dangerous and it could have killed him. So, you know, mm. the thing about like all bullies, it kind of to me shows what a coward he is. Mm. You know, mm. like really, he's you, afraid. Uh, of yeah, and you tomatoes. never thought, like we all heard that, you know, drag yeah. him out stuff. And if you see yeah. someone knock a, knock the crap out of him, was yeah. it was a big yeah. rallying cry. I didn't yeah. think that we'd get a day in court over it. But, uh, you know, you, you have been saying for an awful long time that the the day will come. In some ways, the interview with Piers Morgan is a day in court of sorts because it's, you know, the court of public opinion, even though, as you say, so many yeah. people are entrenched as to what their opinion is. Piers, I thought, did a decent enough job of putting to the pin of his collar. But overall, Marion, just boring is the verdict on this interview just yeah generally just a boring interview and this would tie in with what yeah. you were saying of this is a, a political comedian who needs new material new material he, yeah. he harped yeah. on the idea that as sad as ukraine is it wouldn't have happened if the election hadn't been fixed are you at uh, all yeah. surprised that he isn't moving past the election being fi fixed and saying, I've done my talking about that. You know what I feel about that. Are you at all surprised that he isn't even distancing himself from his previous stand up special? I was robbed in the election and still harping on the idea that you wouldn't see all this death if this spurious claim that I made hadn't taken place. I mean, I, I was definitely left scratching my head because there's literally every court in the land has thrown out this idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, as I only saw clips of the interview, which were highlights. And just to go to what you just said there, I found it. I was kind of thinking to myself, well, if these are the highlights. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to bother tuning in for the main event. Yeah. Uh, but, but 
three years after he won, like four years after he won 2016, and he would recount how the whole map went. He'd go, and first of all, we got Pennsylvania, and he'd re not relitigate, but yeah. re-celebrate the story, how he yeah. got to 306 to the point where your eyes and your you were just in a in an induced coma. Yeah, like um, granddad get, telling the story yeah. again of how I nearly won. Yeah, how he got nearly won the medal of whatever, and you know, and so with this, with this, because of his ego, and because his ego is so enormous and so fragile, he cannot admit that he lost. He cannot admit that, notwithstanding that, as you said, every court case was thrown out, even by Trump-appointed judges. Not a single one of his lunatic clown car legal team produced for all their huffing and puffing a single screed of evidence to suggest that even one vote had been stolen. And ironically, the only evidence that we have seen, copperfast evidence of stolen votes, is Mark Meadows, his, his chief of staff who illegally was registered to vote in three different places. And it seems that he voted in both um, Washington and North Carolina, where he had some kind of a caravan or a shack or something where he was a registered voter. So it seems that the only voter fraud that has happened so far, or that seems, now he hasn't been tried and convicted, but where there is enough evidence and the investigation has yielded a lot of evidence that Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, is the only clear-cut case that we have seen so far where it may have happened. You know, the ironies, you can't even keep up with the ironies. But um, I mean, Trump, when you hear something like this about Meadows, there is a part of me that goes, well, he'll probably just carry on like like an like an old Fianna Fáil yeah. TD sitting in his seat, getting a tongue lashing and waiting for it all to boil yeah. down. Yeah. And, you know, the tragedy of the January 6th committee and, you know, I think the Republicans and all this stuff with with uh, Kevin McCarthy that has been revealed in the last week, I think that the they have guessed and they have rolled the dice on the fact that nobody really cares anymore, mm. that this happened in January 2021. We're going into we're going to the midterms in November 2022 and nobody's going to really care. Nobody's going to be thinking about that when they go to the polls. They're going to be thinking about how much they're paying for petrol. Yeah. They're going to be thinking about inflation. They're going to be thinking about the fact that the economy, we just saw the figures come out, um, that it, it, you know, it looks like it's heading into a recession and they're going to be gambling on the fact that they can paint Biden as an old doddery, out of touch guy and that the Democrats don't know what the hell they're doing and they're a bunch of communists and they all want to re-educate your children and turn them all gay because this is really what works for Republicans and this is what energises their base. So I, I really think that even though Benny Thompson has been doing a terrific job as chairman of the committee and the committee has done really good work so far that... Um, even if they come up with a report before November, uh, that no, it's not going to cost the Republicans, I believe, a single vote. And I think that they know that. And, you know, you saw that uh, Kevin McCarthy, even after his his phone call, uh, you know, post-January 6th, the, the call with the party on January 10th, four days later, where he said he was going to ask Trump to resign. Mm. And he spoke about Marjorie Taylor Greene and the others, and you know, their, their behaviour. And he sounded sane in his address to the, and then of course he wrote back and the whole thing said, oh that was just the heat of the moment, it was just a snapshot, I didn't mean a word of it and he got a standing ovation for saying he didn't mean a word of it basically, and for saying let's not let the Democrats divide us on this we're all going to move forward together and basically this is all history now and let's not get distracted by it and I think that the Republicans have that kind of brass neck that they just 
brazen stuff out and they don't care if it's right or wrong, that they have a an overweening interest in getting power at any cost and, and that that is probably what they'll do come November. Wow. Oh, it is like it must be very tough for those listeners, as they say in the States, who kind of can't turn on the TV to an extent because the example that it does set for your kids and for anybody who's caught in a lie is that there's always a way to slither out yeah. of it. This kind of war on... And that will blow over. You know, yeah. it'll blow over eventually. Don't give it, worry. Give yeah. it enough Just time. It out. Deny, deny, yeah. deny. But, yeah, exactly. you know, that is again not disconnected from what we're about to talk about in Ukraine. Over on uh, patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad, we're going to get into this $713 million commitment from the US to the Ukraine war effort and what that means for the, the battle that's taking place there. We'll also get into the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case, which gets more and more curious as the days pass. We also need to talk about California, which has introduced water restrictions as the worst drought yeah. in 1200 years continues. So come on over and join us. And as I say, join the conversation after the show. And as I said, all through the month of May, we're offering a 15% discount on your annual membership. So you can save a couple of quid. I know things are tight. So that's why we've brought this in. The uh, May Day discount from Irishman Abroad will run through May. I hope you'll come over and join us. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.